Trevor and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 133. Here's a Boo Crew fright fact. In 2016 split, James McAvoy actually broke his hand while filming. He went to hit a door and he thought it was fake, but it turned out to be made out of solid metal. Ouch! The beast! Yes. The beast got hurt. Oh no. We wanted to take time out to thank our latest patrons. Brianna Boudouet, One Eye Open Productions, and Nathan Bohatch. It's so amazing to have you guys as part of the extended Boo Crew family. You will be getting pens, stickers, and buttons this week if you haven't got them already. If you want access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more, sign up now at patreon.com slash theboocrew. This time around, you were joined by Joe Cotella, singer of the Billboard charting band Dead. He is such an amazing talent. He'll tell you about the band's horror influence, his penchant for shark flicks, mental health, and taking care of yourself, and all about their new music, including the micro-EP they just put out called Mannequin Eyes. We'll also get into their latest video for a mannequin an idol that surpassed 1.2 million views in one week of its release. Episode 133 starts now. What's up? This is Joe Catella of the band Dead, and you are listening to another horrifying episode of The Boo Crew. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. All right, we are going to go around the room and around the World Wide Web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock, <laughs> where we're each going to highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. Starting with Leo. Woo. <laughs> For the record, got, my house did not burn down. What? Wait, what? Why Why would that be a situation? I get a, I get a dude, I get a citizen alert last night at 3.30 in the morning. Like, there's a fire in Eagle Rock. Literally, a whole, like, hillside burned down right behind some homes. No oh, way. shit. And, yeah, if you guys ever use that app, it's really cool because you can, if, like, if you, if you have that app and you see something nearby, you can shoot live video of it. So, you're, at, you're actually watching live video of somebody else's uh, iPhone. Wait, what is the app called? Citizen. Citi- wow, so it's like kind of like that next door neighbor and all oh that stuff. Oh my god, next door. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I so swear. Every every time Ev- a pop sound happens, yes. a- oh, gunshot! That's a gunshot! Yeah. It's like this neighborhood goes- <laughs> has so many gunshots. I don't yeah, even right. know. It's insane. <laughs> like we have a problem. It's like cars. it's a fire, like a Roman candle or something goes off, or a or car backfires. Yeah, exactly. It's a gunshot. Ah! The crazy thing I learned actually a couple of days ago was that the Citizen app is actually run by AI. So what happens is a computer is actually listening to all the nine one one calls. Oh damn! And it translates it and it spreads a word to whoever you know 
to your area, to your neighborhood. I don't think that yes. happens on next door because no. they'd be like, oh my God, these people are so stupid. No, next door neighbors just <laughs> constant gunshot updates 24-7. Or they'll be like, do you know the person who was driving a white BMW up the street too fast? Who was that? Like, seriously? <laughs> I, I just, the stupidity level on next door is just... I it's entertaining. No, I had to take the it app off. You did? Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I get the emails, though, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just angered oh, by them. so fun. Anyway, Leo, what you got on deck? Oh, what have you been, uh, been watching? So, so get this. You know, I've, I've been waiting for this movie to pop up on one of the streaming services, and it finally did. I talked about this before, but I brought it up. Again. I'm going to bring it up again. It's a movie called Session 9 from 2001. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's, it's one of those psychological thriller horror movies that is almost pretty much filmed in daylight. That's now, crazy. if you've not seen this movie, directed by Brad Anderson, it stars David Caruso, Stephen Gavidon, who also wrote it, Josh Lucas, and Larry Fessenden did it also. Oh, that's, and, that's right. He throws good Christmas parties, right? That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Sorry. That's right. We got to go to his party one day. That's all I think about when I hear his name is I was like, oh, he has Who good- Who's telling us about that? Jen Wexler. Jen Wexler. Jen Wexler, yeah. yes. Why do so, I forget yeah, the name of his company? Uh, uh, Glass Eye Picks? Glass Eye Picks. That's, that's it. it. Yes. That's it. We put out good movies. So this movie has to do with this, you know, small family run business, a team of friends who get together and bid a job. Uh, basically, they remove asbestos and they take the job, which is at the Denver State Hospital in Massachusetts. And when they, you know, they approach it, they realize how big the job is, but they really want it. So they just underbid everybody else. And they end up winning the job because they say, yeah, we could do it in a week or two weeks, whatever, you know, and they end up doing the job. And what they have to do is remove asbestos so they can demolish it. And as they're working, each member of the team starts to, you know, have a different experience. Like maybe one has a ghost experience, one hears voices, one, you know, sees things. It's, it's, it's a really cool psychological thriller horror movie with such minimal things going on, you know, and, and then it wraps up really nicely with a big like twist at the end. The really cool thing about this movie is all the fun facts attached to it. Uh, for example, it was filmed in a real Denver State Hospital in Massachusetts, and the location of the hospital in filming was originally known as Salem Village, which was one location for the Salem Witch Trials in the 1600s. Oh, no way. Yeah, I didn't know that. Watching the movie, I was like, oh, that's crazy. And also, I mean, that, that hospital was built in 1874 on a location called Hawthorne Hill which got its name from its original owner, Judge John Hawthorne, okay? And he was appointed to be a judge in the Salem Witch Trials. Now, he has a great-great-grandson uh, by the name of Nathaniel Hawthorne. Oh. He had a W to his name, better known as the author who wrote the Scarlet Letter. That's right. And House of Seven Gables, yeah. I love that book, The Scarlet Letter. It's like, yeah, it's great. I keep thinking about this. I'm like, so perhaps the land where the hospital was built, maybe it's cursed or hexed. They reference it in the movie, in the opening, you know, five, ten minutes of the movie. But they also, in real life, you can look it up. It was shut down in 85 because there was a lot of scandals going on uh, within that place. A lot of satanic sex abuse scandals. So eventually they shut it down in the 1980s. But for the most part, all the patients were mentally ill. Like severe, you know, cases like lobotomies were done there. And, you know, people just, the craziest of the craziest were housed there. But it's really impressive to watch because they, they actually filmed it in the real hospital and not many props were used uh, for making the movie. 
Unfortunately, though, much of the building had to be um, much of the building uh, had been looted and damaged by local teenagers because um, you know they used to just use it as a place to drink and party and do random things like shoot you know guns and stuff. So they graffitied a lot of the the building, and the actual graffiti that you see in the, in the movie is actually the stuff that was that was left there behind. Oh wow! <laughs> and most of the equipment that was left behind from you know back in the day was stolen. There was a um, wall of art such as a taped up uh, book clippings and photos of the, they were the real deal they had been left behind by patients and doctors so upon the hospital's closure any uh, official records of which the patient stayed at danvers were moved to other hospitals to archives and to uh, records management offices throughout massachusetts to help preserve you know the legacy of the patients and all that but overall the movie's creepy if you like psychological horror definitely check it out it's on netflix now i don't think it's been on netflix ever or maybe a long time ago. So in the U.S. streaming as a timely release of this episode, definitely check it out. It's one of those like unique psychological horror movies. I think it's well done. And like I said, one of the few movies shot in daylight. So definitely check it out. All right. Well, we would like to assign, we saw this together, Lauren and I, it's a 2015 film called The Devil's Candy. Is oh. it like that? That's how you That's say how it. I say it. That's how I say it. I don't know why. You know why? I think because was it Bill Mosley who said uh, the speech when he was, um, who's your daddy? Yeah. Does he okay. say, I'm the one who brings the devil's can? Does he say yeah, that yeah, in the yeah. speech? In, yes, yes. Is it yes. devil's rejects? Yes. Right? When he's wearing the, the face. That's right. I believe. I believe. Anyway, I might, I might be completely yeah. misquoting so it. So if you get this, you have to say it that way. The devil's a candy. <laughs> oh, so it premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, September 13th, 2015. Was released March 17th, 2017 by IFC Midnight. It's the second feature film written and directed by Australian filmmaker Sean Byron. This is his much anticipated follow up to 2009's award winning film, the loved ones and this how do we find out about you lauren like i don't know we were late to the we're late to the game on this one admittedly so definitely late to the party how did you figure find out i was on instagram right okay i was on instagram and then someone had posted like you know how people post like stacks of dvds yeah and so someone Mm -hmm. had posted a stack and then i saw and i was like oh that sounds interesting the devil's candy like I like candy. Was it Ashley Slashy? Yes, I think it was. I think it was Ash <laughs> at Ashley underscore Slashy. Yes. She had posted and then people were like, oh my God, I love Devil's Candy. And I was like, you know what? I might love it too. It was in a bunch of like a stack with like starry eyes and the oh, last shift. Didn't it have um, the innkeepers maybe? The innkeepers was in that stack. Yes. Nice. It was stuff that nice. I have yeah. seen that I enjoyed and I was like well if this person enjoys these films I might enjoy these other films that I haven't seen. Yeah it was Beyond the Gates, Devil's Candy, yes. Deathgasm, House of the Devil, yes. The Innkeepers, innkeepers. Late Phases which we're going to yeah. watch next Last Shift, Starry Eyes, The Stakeland Collection, and We Are Still Here. So we've not seen all those movies yet. So th- there was a few on there that were like, yeah, it, just yeah. like what you said. It's like, if they're anywhere near in the same flavor, the ones that are in that list that we have seen, oh my God, we're going to dive into yeah. all of it. So th- thank you at Ashley yes. underscore Slashy. Yes. Thank you for your recommendation. I will say this, uh, Late Phases, probably 
a very unique take on a werewolf movie, and I really enjoy that one. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're stoked. Well, like Late Phases, this one also stars Ethan Embry, who is fucking oh, nice. unbelievable. Like, <laughs> I, I haven't seen him really in anything since, what, he was in Can't, Can't Hardly, Hardly Wait, Wait, Hardly Wait, Empire yeah. Records, right. uh, Vegas Vacation, National Lampoon's, <laughs> he was rusty in Vegas that Vacation. That Thing You Do, Disturbing Behavior, all yep. these great yep. movies in the like late 90s, uh, and... and I haven't seen him in a while, and oh my god, is he ever a good actor? He really is, yeah, and he, it, is. he doesn't look anything like no. what I remembered, uh-uh. which totally threw me <laughs> right. off. He's got like long hair. He's like ripped. He's got tattoos everywhere. He plays like a metalhead artist. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So also in this movie are what, is it Shiri Appleby? Yeah, Shiri Appleby, who was in a TV show that I used to love watching called Roswell. Kiara Glasgow. Who plays their daughter, the teenage daughter. She's amazing. She is unbelievable. She starred in the Golden Globe winning Maps to the Stars with Robert Pattinson, Julianne Moore, John Cusack, and Mia Wasikowska. And also featured in this film, the Golden Globe winning Pruitt Taylor Vince, who's been in everything from Stranger Things, TV's Murder One, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Mentalist. He was in Constantine in Tooth. Remember Constantine? Yep. Keanu Reeves, Shia LaFucking Buff, Rachel Weisz. (laughs) Gavin Rossdale is the bad guy oh from God. Bush. Breathe in, oh God, breathe no. out, no. breathe no. in. <laughs> no. Got a machine head. What does that mean? What horror movie? Machine that from? head. Machine head. Puts in a lot of horror movies. Remember what that song? Machine head. Oh yes, God. yes. We it is. Wait, duplicate wait, no, no, no. We're not no, gonna. No. I mean, I won't allow sorry. it. I won't allow it. Tell me about. Gavin Rossdale, Machine Head, Bush, Bush X. In Canada, they're called Bush X. Did you know that? What? Yeah. Why? I think there's another Bush up there. No way. Yeah. You're Bush making X. this shit up. No, they're called Bush X. I'm, I remember when I'm I moved Googling here. It. I remember when I moved here and everyone was just saying Bush. I was like, no, it's Bush X. <laughs> like, what? The? Did they laugh you out of the station? No. <laughs> I would have. Got a Machine Head. No, no. What's that the other like, song? Don't let the days go by. Oh <laughs> my god, I'm so sorry. Man, this is I'm sorry this is turning into a karaoke night. But Leo, Push. wax wax me the uh the history on Machine Head horror movies. Or don't. What what movies is Leo's it? Leo's computer's broken. Fear. It was in fear. Oh wow. Wahlberg was, was in it was like in the Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another great one. Yep. I yeah. don't see anything about Bush X. Just Google Bush X. I did. <laughs> I think you're making it up. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, Siri, look up Bush X. Here we go. Yeah, there was a Canadian band called Bush. That's why they had to change their name to Bush X. I think you made that up. No, I'm, t- I'm telling <laughs> you the truth. It was on Much Music's Big Shiny Tunes volume whatever. Anyway. <sighs> Back to the show. So it's about a struggling artist and heavy metal fan who moves his family into the perfect dream home only to be possessed by Satan himself. Oh, God. <laughs> right from go. Yes. First five minutes. Character, character, character. Right, would you say? Yeah. He gets sucked in by this family. The acting is impeccable. And I think what drew us both in, if mm-hmm. I may speak for you, for you as well, we have this conversation. <laughs> Thank never, you. Is that... Is the relationship between the father and the teenage daughter. Yes, it's very, like, relatable. I think being a parent and seeing, like, 
Scarlett kind of like you guys have a really cute father daughter relationship and they had a really cute father daughter relationship. They bond over heavy metal. Yes. They have a shared love of heavy metal and heavy metal becomes a very central plot point to this film in very unique ways, such as a red flying V and a martial amp become a central plot point to this film. (laughs) Nice. The music is incredible. It's got a metal soundtrack, including Metallica, Ghost, Slayer. Yeah, man, just the relationships between the, the, the three main family members is so endearing. And what ends up happening is very unexpected. Even though there's that d- demonic element to the movie, what how it unfolds and what happens, you would never see coming. No. You would never see coming. When this film gets going, it jams a knife in your heart and twists the shit out of it where you are on your couch curled up. Yeah. Feeling for what's oh. going on in ways that you can't even imagine because we're not even going to go into it because you're best to take this journey as blind as possible. Yes. I mean, the twists in the film are are really incredible. And Ethan Embry is wearing a wig. (laughs) He is. Yes. I had to look that up because I was like, wow, (laughs) did he grow his hair really long? No, it's a really good wig. He looks like Jesus. He does. In the movie. He looks like Matthew McConaughey and Jesus. He really does. (laughs) The paintings in this film are incredible as well. The person who who actually does the art for Ethan's character, Jesse. It's all done by a Cleveland-based artist named Stephen Kasner. Stephen did 30 paintings for this movie, at least one of which was over seven feet tall. And he suffers from chronic pain from a medical condition and hadn't painted anything since 2010. He said his work being hired on this film saved his life. Wow. The paintings are so disturbing. They almost like you you see them and you almost don't want to look at them. You feel like they're making you crazy. See, I usually want stuff like that'd be something I'd want. I'd be like, oh, I need that painting. No, don't need it. I don't want it. It's super fucking dark. Yeah, it's it's a little. I mean, I mean, all of them. There's a there's a bunch in there. The score was done by Michael Yazirki, who drew influence from black metal, noise rock, and drone, and it features the band Sun, an experimental metal group from Seattle. That's that Mm. voice that you hear. Oh. Oh, no. Over and over again in the movie. It was provided by Sun. The scares come out of very unexpected circumstances and places that you don't see coming. It is going to ultimately destroy you when you watch this movie. We were really taken aback by how fucking great it was. And how incredible the performances were. And Ethan Embry and Sherry Appleby and Kiara Glasgow absolutely killed it. And it's streaming on Shudder. That's right. Nice. So you could check it out there. We'll have to watch that. Definitely. Just double check to make sure I'm, you know, that I still have a crush on her, you know? <laughs> Sherry Appleby? Yeah. Swim fan? Are you swim fan? Roswell. Oh, Roswell. Roswell. Yes, Roswell and... Swim fan. Sherry Appleby was in Swim Fan? Wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Erica Christensen, right? Yep. Sherry Appleby was not in Swim Fan. Yes, she was. No, she was not. Was yes, she, she really? Was. Yes. <laughs> Google she was. that. I don't need to Google it because I fucking know. I need to Google that. Are yeah, you, you sure? Do. Yes. Swim Fan. She was the girlfriend of Jesse Bradford. You oh. are right. Of course I you am. You are right. I am always right. You know what I loved about Swim Fan? 
that you don't know that, anything about it? That is girlfriend <laughs> Sherry Appleby's performance. <laughs> was unforgettable. <laughs> no, the swim oh, fan man. was awesome. That's a fucking movie to talk about too. Swim fan. Who was the guy? Jesse Bradford. Jesse Bradford. Mm-hmm. Star of Clock Stoppers. No, he was in Clock Stoppers. He, I don't know. He was um, Bring It On. Bring It On. That's why I was like the cheerleading one. Also, Dead Awake with uh, Jocelyn Donahue. Nice. Remember where she played twins? Oh yeah, that was a good one. Love Jocelyn Donahue. There you go. Some flicks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Boo Crew Podcast. I won't be a slave and waste away. Living every day with my eyes so shut. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a singer, songwriter, and creator whose empowering message and music has lifted us up since their debut album, Misanthrope, which was unveiled in 2017. The intoxicating mix of sweeping melodies combined with cathartic aggression instantly developed an immensely loyal fan base, sent the band straight to the Billboard charts, and garnered them an award nod for Loudwire's Best New Artist. They have been working on the much-anticipated follow-up to that very album, and the first taste of that is now here in the form of the micro-EP Mannequin Eyes, including the track A Mannequin Idol that at time of release has just been showcased with an incredible new video. There is so much strength, reflection, and hope awaiting to be unlocked in their music, the band offering themselves to be the voice of the silent and a vessel with which to inspire personal growth, change, and a sense of comfort. We are honored to welcome Joe Catella of the band known as Dead. Yeah! Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow, very, very cool intro. Wow, that was, man. That was awesome. Hey, man. Thank you again so much for taking the time to hang with us. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you great. Perfect, yeah, perfect. So congrats on the EP, the new video, and on this next exciting chapter for the band. We are so stoked. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stoked as well. Uh, this feels so good to have some new music out and a new video and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's been a while, so it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty huge. Speaking of that, these two new songs were chosen to usher in the return of Dead. Can you tell us what these two songs as a collective mean to you? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I think two, two kind of, it was like, a, it was kind of like, we, you know, we put out the last album, it's been about three years almost since we put that album out. So this was kind of like our reintroduction to the world, to our old fans, um, to new fans, to just, just anybody, you know, so we wanted to kind of, you know, we have some different sounds on the new album, which we do have a new album recorded. And, um, but these were just two that we felt were nice and were strong and they both, you know, had that aggression, but with that positive conscious message to it. And, um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really awesome to put that out, especially the time right now where everybody's slowing down with the pandemic and everything like that and, and having that time for self-reflection to, to, to take a look at their life and, and um, their identities and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it, it's an awesome, awesome time and a really, really cool way to reintroduce ourselves. After the wild success of Misanthrope and the band becoming almost road warriors in terms of touring and creating videos and content for that album, when did work officially begin on this second chapter? I guess officially it was December of 
what's 2020 now, so I guess December 2018, so just right leading into the beginning of 2019, we started, um, we went out to, to Las Vegas and did uh, the first song, actually the song High Sun Shut that is on um, that is on the album. And, and interestingly enough, too, I say the, the term bloody disgusting in that song, too, which is which is cool. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's actually in there. But anyway, um, yeah, we started, December was our first time going out meeting Kevin Churko out there at uh, the High House Studios. And um, we did that first, we did that song as the first one for the album. And so I guess it started there, you know, and then, and then we kind of were, Back and forth, we were there for a couple months. We we go out on tour. We come back, you know, blah blah blah. Back and forth all the time, and and so it was um it was pretty nonstop. And and then uh, we went and finished it up, you know, right before right right at the end of the year again. So it was about a year, December to December, and you know, broken up because he was also doing in this moments album, which we were there at the same time as them, and then he was doing the Five Finger album. So we're just kind of like you know, he's just balance, balancing everybody at the same time. So it it did space it out a little bit and then we go on tour when he'd record someone else. So it was, uh, it was great. That it was really cool that it worked out that way. Well, talking about Kevin, who as a producer is such an expert at world building through sound and creating really intimate visual experiences through music. Almost. How has that sonic cinematography almost informed your writing and expanded your imagination as far as just how big these songs can be? Right. That's an interesting way to put it. And I do agree with that. You know, when you're in the room with someone like that and you're hearing tracks come back out of the speakers and you're hearing the the songs take shape, it creates an environment, especially for me being, being the singer, it creates this environment that you kind of live inside of and you, you're definitely inspired to write inside of that environment to tell that story of, of that song, of that sonic, uh, that sonic space. So, you know, and he's just so good with notes and musicality and music theory and, you know, and I would say for us, you know, David and I being the, the kind of main songwriters, I would say, you know, it's we're more into just kind of our strength is just kind of the chaos and the heaviness and the, the, the gnarliness of it. And so it was really cool to kind of, I think we balanced each other out and found like a really cool kind of medium, medium ground for things. Um, and so, you know, it was it was amazing working with him. He, he's, he's really is a genius and he, he makes you feel right at home and he wants you to be yourself. And, and um, you know, he was just killer. That's amazing. The Boo Crew will be right back. The legend continues. That's a shark. But no one sees it. And I know what a shark looks like because I've seen one up close. The legend continues, but no one believes it. And you better do something about this one. The legend continues. Because I don't intend to go through that hell again. The all-new Jaws 2. (laughs) See it before you go back in the water. Jaws 2. In the West End and all over London, now, Certificate A. Well, both of these new songs are, just like what you said, they're perfect examples of one of the things that you guys do so well, and that is to take those chaotic anarchic moments and marry them with almost whimsical melodies at times can you talk a bit about that alchemy and what that polarity creates in you and with the listener yeah well i guess you know we're fans of all types of music and i you know 
So I think that there's something really cool about that beautiful resolve into a chorus after a really grimy verse and a big, heavy riff. Um, you know, I think, you know, growing up, you know, listening to stuff when you're a kid, like, you know, when Alice in Chains, they do that perfectly, that real dark grime into something real beautiful, resolve, some soaring chorus. And, you know, a lot of other bands have done it, you know, and since then and whatnot. Um, but that's the one that I think of as well as, you know, yeah, a lot of our peers, I guess. But I think, I think something that really works is just that, that beauty, you know, um, the contrast. And uh, I've always been a fan of that because I love beautiful melodies. I love singers. I love songwriters. Um, and then I love just the gnarliest, most violent, heavy stuff you can have. So I think coupling those together really, because, you know, I, it's like, it's like you want a little bit of both because you're a little boy listening to just one thing. So you want to like mix it all together. We like really making it kind of a melting pot of, of influences, whether there'd be a little bit of hip hop influence or a little bit of alternative or punk or metal or whatever it is like just no rules and i think it keeps it interesting that way no totally it moves you like like chino said in that deftone song it moves you like a movie right 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 other killers still love deftones i know you're a fan of one of my favorite bands which is death cab for cutie and the postal service what about uh-huh. those two bands connects with you i mean well yeah bang bang gibbers is just an amazing lyricist amazing songwriter you know, I really got into those bands when I was younger, like I think it was around like 18 or so, something like that. I remember going to really starting to have like my really bad, like anxiety problems around that time. And, um, and I remember those, I listened to transatlanticism and the postal service album, uh, just, oh, just all the time, all night when I'd be up all night, like worried and whatnot. And, um, uh, those two albums just brought me such like, such peace for whatever reason and i felt like i really feel like he he really is so truthful and honest and blunt with his lyrics but it's not like hopeless there's a little there's a little bit of hope in it and maybe with the melodies or whatever it is and there's just there's just you just feel the the, the sincerity with them and, and um you know obviously just gorgeous songwriting and yeah they're just incredible yeah i i totally agree would you ever cover a death cab or postal service song you never know i mean if it, if it, you know if it worked out i haven't worked on a bunch of acoustic stuff um just since we've been home you know so yeah that could that could happen yeah i could i could be thinking about that um was listening to um uh, transatlanticism the other night, Maria and I were. You, you actually just had you just had, just had Maria on your podcast. Yeah, we yes. did. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, and um, and she's my love, and we're in quarantine together, actually. And and so yeah, we were listening to transatlanticism the other night, and I'm um, listening to some postal service stuff as well. So, um, and we talked about doing that actually. So yeah, you, you never know. I mean, it just depends on on if it if it happens. If it, you know, so I try to keep it organic. If if it happens, and then cool. If not, that's all right too. So. That would be awesome if it happens. And then while in quarantine, every Thursday, I check out Ben Gibber does live songs on Instagram and Facebook. So that's really fun to watch. He's done like he did. Oh, I, haven't a whole, even, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Every cool. Thursday at four, like he did all Beatles songs. I think it was last week. And then he'll do Postal Service and Death Cab. Just a whole bunch of stuff. It's really fun. That's awesome. I'll definitely have to have to follow that for sure. Touching on, on uh, mental health for a second, uh, it's, it's something that many people struggle with, especially during times like this, during this quarantine, lockdown, pandemic thing, and just thinking about all the uncertainty that awaits us. 
Talk about some of the issues you've had to deal with and how you're channeling those experiences into your music. Well, I think that that is something that's oh, very, you know, it comes out without even trying, especially lyrically. It's just something at the forefront of my mind or, or maybe in the maybe in the subconscious of my mind at all times, like going through, I guess, really bad bouts of anxiety um, attacks and things like that. You start reading about it. You know, I, I went to cognitive therapy for it, all kinds of things like that, depression things. And, and it's something hereditary, like people in my family have it and stuff too. And so it's just, it's something you're reading about it and it affects your life so much, you know, that it's just, it's something that, that you are, you know, it's something that you're dealing with all the time and reading a lot of things like the power now and, and some, some things like that. It, it just becomes something where you're constantly trying to reform your brain to, to be healthy, to think in a, in a, in a positive way, in a correct way, um, because you just don't, you know, you manifest that those, those thoughts and that, that kind of shit, like manifest negatively into your body and you feel sick from it and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it really, it becomes kind of like a whole part of your life. And so it just, it, it just ends up seeping into my lyrics for sure. And I know a lot of other people deal with it, whether they even know it or not. And I kind of feel like one of the lucky ones to have it be so bad that I had to stop and, and correct it. Because some people, I think, deal with it and, and maybe it's just on this mid-simmer and it never really boils over and they don't even know that there's something wrong with them, you know? So, I don't know. You know, it's, a, it's one of those weird things. It's your brain. It's like a crazy thing. In this current state of the world that, you know, we're talking about and you're speaking to young people who have all of a sudden found themselves with no income, perhaps, or those who've just graduated who are entering into a world whose future is really now entirely unpredictable at this point. Do you have any advice or tools that have helped you along the way that might offer, I don't know, some solace? Yeah. I mean, you know, you just got to take it day by day. Really. You got it. You got to tackle and worry about the things that you have control over. You know, so if, if the whole world is in shambles and all you got is your house, you're, you're in control of your house and your health and the things you put into your body and the things that you consume, et cetera, you know, whatever, in, in whatever way that is sonically or, or eating or whatever, you know, so you can find peace and solace, I think, in control over the things that you can control and the other things, you know. The world has gone through crazy things, probably crazier things than this, you know, in, in the history of time. And, you know, everything ended up being okay in some way, shape or form. And so it's like, it's just having a faith that, you know, like history repeats itself. You're, you know, everyone's going to figure it out. You know, we're a pretty amazing species. And I would just say for right now, though, try to do what feels good. You know, when you do something that feels good your mind feels good. Your body feels good. And, um, you know, the difference between right and wrong when you do things that feel good, you, you know, you, you feel good. Well said. Well, let's go back to the music and, uh, wanted to talk about the theater that is created in the impeccable song hunting grounds that you appear on within the new, in this moment album. Yeah. What was the genesis of that song and how is that unique back and forth narrative developed it almost you know it's almost like a play the delivery is really outstanding for both of you guys on that track yeah thank you yeah i mean it was that was that was that was maria man uh, she's you know because their 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 whole thing is very theatrical their live show is like a theater it's like a play it's it's incredible and when she was working on that you know the idea was kind of like 
if I recall correctly, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote <laughs> what, what she was doing. Cause it's been a little while since we, since we first did it. But, you know, to me, the way I interpreted it was just kind of like two wolves or two animals kind of in the spotlight in the middle of the forest. And they're kind of walking in a circle, having some, somewhat of a showdown. And that was kind of what I, I interpreted it as. And, uh, you know, incredible, uh, you know, I feel honored and privileged to have, to be on the song and, and, um, I, I, I'm so stoked on the way it turned out and I, and I agree with you that it was very theatrical and she, you know, she creates that her, her, her and the boys and Kevin create that. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, it's an amazing song, amazing thing to be a part of. Now with your, with your own band, how important is it to you to explore those feelings that the music creates with the look and feel of what you guys are doing and the theatrical aspect of augmenting the experience of dead through presentation? Yeah, I guess, you know, that, that, that's been something we always did in, in Dead since we started it. Um, and it was just really for fun, honestly, in the beginning. We did, we wore all wore like black straight jacket things with like, uh, when our, and our eyes, we wore um, white contacts in our eyes. Our eyes were gone. So you couldn't really see the window to the soles. And that was kind of like something that we thought was really cool um, at the time. And we didn't really plan on, on a lot of things happening for Dead. We were just trying to be a heavy band and not really even really try to do much with it, um, which was interesting because it did the opposite. I guess it did the, the most successful thing that we've been a part of. So it was really cool in that sense, you know, and it just makes you, it brings you into a character. It's like dressing up for Halloween or something. You know, you feel different when you, when you change your look, you know, even when you dress up to look sharp, you feel sharp and feel a certain way. And I think it really brings you into a place to really encompass that character or that song or whatever it is, you know? And, and, um, it was something that I always kind of shunned away from, I guess, coming from like a bit of a punk rock background. I just thought it was, you know, just was something that didn't feel, I don't know. I guess I thought it was something negative um, when I was younger. I mean, and a lot younger too. And then, so this time around when we were doing that, I was like, you know, let's have fun with this, you know, whatever. And so we did that. And then now we've moved into a different aesthetic for the new stuff, which is a bit more, I guess, kind of like, um, you know, a lot of people say like a post-apocalyptic thing. I, I guess that's kind of what it is, but it really isn't supposed to have rules on it. It's just supposed to be, it's supposed to make a feeling and it's supposed to create an atmosphere. And that's how we're, that's how we're feeling. That's, that's where we're at right now in, in, the, in the, you know, in, in the stages of death. How was it working with Mark Klosfeld, who's done videos for, I mean, everybody, Katy Perry, Chili Peppers, Justin Timberlake. What did he awaken? What did he awaken in you guys? Yeah, all kinds of things. I mean, he's a great dude. He's a real cool, like chill, laid back cat. And, um, you know, he really wanted to, us to be ourselves, you know, and that was the whole thing was, was to, just like the music was to reintroduce ourselves to our, to our fans, I guess, with our new aesthetic, with the new look, you know, show where we've grown, what we've done, as well as the new music. And, um, it's well for, for newer fans that people that, that haven't heard of us, you know, or never seen or heard of us. And, and this was kind of like a reintroduction. And, and that's where we feel like we thrive is, is at the live show, interacting with people, rocking out, you know, conveying the art. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was great. And he, you know, he, he shoots things. He just made, I mean, it's crisp and it's the best we've ever, I feel like we've ever looked in a video and, and he's, he's just a genius. You know, you can tell that he's done a lot of great stuff. Videos like this one and going back to the video for Hate Me, which is another one of our faves from you guys, really showcases the horror influence of the band. Let's talk about that. What was your first experience with the horror genre? The first one that I can remember, first one, I mean, just for whatever reason, the first one I remember is the original Night of the Living Dead. 
it was on a, a, a VHS when I was real little VHS in my uncle's basement in Long Island. And I remember putting it on and um, I might've been watching it with my other cousin. I don't know, but I was really young. I probably shouldn't have been watching it, you know, even though it's an older movie and it's, you know, it's whatever, but, and it just scared the shit out of me. And, um, I was completely drawn to it. Um, the zombies were, were mesmerizing to me and the people, I don't know, just something about it was just absolutely amazing. That's the first, the first one. And then, and then Jaws as well is another one around the same time. And that's still to this day, my favorite movie of, of all genres of anything. Jaws is just the best movie of all time to me. And that one as well. And I got completely, I, I love sharks. I was obsessed with sharks and just, I used to just draw sharks eating people <laughs> when I was little. And I would watch Jaws like every day, Jaws one. And then, and then, you know, got into the other ones. I loved all of them. And then I got a little bit older and I realized that, that three and four were, were kind of pretty, pretty terrible, but you know, I just was obsessed with sharks and Jaws and all that stuff too. So those are the first two that I can think of. I think a shark ate someone in Santa Cruz, like recently. What? Yeah. Really? Like I, Santa oh, Cruz? No. Yeah. Holy shit. Like shit. killed someone. Yeah. Oh my God. And then they put signs, it looked like Jaws, they put signs up everywhere that said like, don't like, go watch in the water. Out for the shark. Shark. Wow. Oh yeah, my God. look it up. What, what is it, what is it about Jaws? What is it about Jaws that you think freaked you out so much? Was it like the anticipation or what was it? About Jaws? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it, it's something that's plausibly real. It could, it could, I guess it could kind of really happen. And then I just love sharks. They're, they're, they're like, I mean, they're like dinosaurs. You know, they're like these crazy things. You know, if you think about what it is, what a great white shark, they're just these enormous, amazing, you know, eating machines and they're so powerful and I just respect them and they're just beautiful at the same time as scary. And, and of course, just coupled with Jaws with the amazing, actors and script and the story and everything they did a really great job with jaws with you know they don't give it away you know you you got to watch like oh, over half the movie i think it's you actually really see him with the chum scene right and so i don't know it's just something that's just so rewatchable and and i just absolutely just love it i don't know it's great. I mean, do you guys like Jaws? <laughs> I love Jaws. It's the best. It's yeah. so good. Like, the story is just amazing, even without the shark. Like, the acting and the writing is just beautiful. Yeah. Have you seen any yeah. new shark horror movies like The Shallows or 47 Meters Down? All shark movies. I watch all shark movies, absolutely. Although I didn't dive too far into the Sharknado series very much. I watched some of the first one, but it's just, you know, kind of like quality with it. Yes. Sure. So I get it. Quality um, with your sharks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And, you know, I get, I get Marie to watch. She, whenever she sees a shark movie, she knows, like, we, all right, we got to watch the shark movie. So we watched <laughs> The Meg, which was real fun. You know, The Meg was fun. The Shallows was good, too. With, with The Shallows, is that the one with, with Blake Lively? Yeah. Yeah. Where she's, like, okay, stuck yeah, on a rock, basically. Too. Yeah, she was stuck on the rock. It got a little redundant with her being stuck on the rock. It was good, though. It was fun. It was a fun one. But I really did enjoy the newer of the 47 meters down, whatever the newest one was. And it was cool. They were almost like zombie sharks. Or like It was almost like combined with um, the descent, like where the sharks turned into these new creatures that had never existed before, where they could see in the dark and their, their other senses became heightened. And I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, that um, was really yeah, cool. Yeah, I like that one. Oh, they all live in the caves and stuff? That was awesome. Yeah. 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 And they were creepy because they were like zombie sharks. And the ending was a little, you know, but whatever. But I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was just a fun, you know, shark horror movie. And, and I just, I just, if, you know, 
I, you can just sign me up for all of those, pretty much. Would you ever do like that cage diving with sharks and stuff? Would you ever go that far? Uh, we've talked about it. I think under the right circumstances, I'd probably want it to be maybe not one of those super janky boats. You know, if it was in a quality way, yeah, you know, yeah, I would, I would really love to, to, to do that. That would be... You know, that would be something like, uh, like unreal to me, uh, especially if it was with, you know, great whites and that kind of thing. So yeah, I would, I would really love to do that. <laughs> yeah. Joe, if, if you ever, if you ever decide to do it, you got to go off the coast of Mexico. I believe it's called the uh, Guadalupe Island. I believe it's like the place for great whites, man. They, they like, you find the, the largest amount of concentration right there. Not only that, you'll probably get a UFO sighting too. <laughs> really? Is that, Leo, is that yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> the aliens there too? <laughs> I swear, man. Super. <laughs> yeah. yeah we have to go with Tom DeLong and it'll be a whole day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's call him up. Let's, yeah, let's make it a trip. Yeah, especially with shop there. So they, they, they cover that area. So yeah, definitely go there, man. Wow. Cool. That would be amazing. As far as other horror films go, you know, things that have maybe crept into the influence of yourself visually or have even found their way into dead, be it wetting out to the eyes and things like that. Are there any films that you notice have kind of stayed with you and creep into either your music or the band's visuals? Well, I guess I guess with some of the visuals, I guess the eyes is, is, is a thing um, that that a lot of people have used and, and we obviously noticed it a lot more once we started doing it. We're like, Oh, they're doing the, the, the white eyes thing too. And I, you know, we started doing it about four, four and a half years ago. Not to say that hasn't been done before then, but it's been done a lot since then. And I'm not saying it's from us, but we did notice it a lot. I think it crept in a bit more as far as some of the weird noises we use in our songs. Um, we do try to make like weird distorted noises that just make you feel a certain way. And I think that the, a lot of horror movies do that as well. Their soundtracks uh, are really uh, imperative as far as the, the impact that they make on somebody. And um, so I do think that we try to make music, um, some of the songs, and uh, definitely some of the heavier ones, more aggressive ones, to make you feel something, you know, whatever that is if it's sick or, or, or if it's uncomfortable or whatever it is, or aggressive. And I think that, um, that that is influenced by, by some of the weird noises that are experimented in horror movies. You know, they, they, they make some real strange sounds in horror movies sometimes. And I think it's incredible. And, and we've definitely tapped into that for, for, um, some of the, some of the, um, the programming and stuff. Can you think of any horror film soundtracks in particular that you first kind of noticed? I mean, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm not huge on like scores, you know, like knowing like who did what scores for this and that. You know, I definitely know themes for Halloween and Jaws and, and different ones like that. But I, I, I guess I'm more more so it would be speaking of like the sound effects and like some of the strange um, noises they'll have in like maybe the alien movies and things like that. You know what I mean? Like there's just strange things that are completely unique. It's not necessarily that we're trying to you know, do like the psycho score or whatever, you know, um, more like sound design. Yeah. More like sound design. Yeah. I would say that, but you know, it's really cool. Like, uh, I was listening to, um, what Buster Rhymes did today and he actually took the, 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 the music from, I think it's from psycho and put it in one of his songs. And I was like, Oh, this is so sick. And so anyway, like, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Like how many, you know, how you were influenced by film and music and how they go together. So they, they, they just hold each other up so well. In times like these during the pandemic, the music and message like we've been talking about with what you're doing with Dead, 
can be one of many very important tools that we have to funnel our thoughts and energy into and to get new ideas and to meditate on. What is your hope to accomplish in that space between our ears with this new music? Well, you know, writing it and recording it, I wasn't intending on releasing it during a pandemic, you know, so um, it's interesting. It really kind of changes the way that I look at it in, in a way, the way that I, the way that I'm sure it's, it's received as well. Um, Cause it's just a, it's a different world than, than I planned on releasing it into. But I do think that, you know, with it being uh, a lot about consciousness, a lot about what you consume and what you identify with and what you support. And are you aware of those things? And are some of those things obsolete? It, it really is just about questioning things. And I think, like I was saying, I think this is a time where everything does slow down and you have that time to, to think about like, you know, I don't know if everybody else has, but you know, you kind of think about your life. You think about your family and your, your life and you have all this time where you're not busy bouncing around in the monotony and the, the chaos of, of the everyday um, life. And so I, I think that it's a per- perfect time in that sense for, for dead news to come out and, and hopefully just challenge people to want to be better and you know, there's there's that frustration in this in the music that's frustrated with humanity and frustrated with myself, and and as well at the same time, I know that I could be better. I know that other people could be better, and so it's really it really is all about you know a positive outcome. Hopefully, that's supposed to be empowering in the same sense of being frustrated. I think one of the things I'm looking forward to post quarantine is Halloween, and hopefully, fingers crossed, experiencing haunts like Halloween Horror Nights. And hopefully not Scary Farm. I don't know what's going to happen. But do you like to do activities like that? I haven't. I mean, I haven't done them in a, in a, in a little while. And usually we're on tour, usually around Halloween um, anyway. But, um, you know, we did pretty much last year was a, was a Halloween tour with uh, in this moment. And um, most of some white New Year's Day and stuff. So it was really cool. It was like a whole vibe. And everybody, like, for like, you know, a month, it was like Halloween every night. Kind of <laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. So we all dressed up and everybody, a lot of people were dressing up going to the shows and they would give like a giveaway for the best costume and stuff. So we really had a good time with that last year. But yeah, I've hit up, you know, I've hit up some, some, um, like haunted houses and stuff. I do have this thing though, where, um, I don't know what it is, but you know, if someone scares me, like there's this jerk reaction where I throw my hands up and I almost like, will like, <laughs> like punch somebody, you know? So like, I gotta be a little careful with that. I don't want to beat up the, you know, the chainsaw guy or whatever, but, um, you know, but anyway, like, no, yeah, I, I just haven't done it in a little while, but that would be something really fun to do, like do some sort of hayride or whatever again, or whatever it is. Those are, those are fun for sure. What was that story that Leah, were you, there was, a, there's this immersive haunted play that happens in LA where you go in like with a small group of like 10 people basically. And this haunted play happens in this old historic mansion around you. And there's a score and there's stunt work happening. And this story kind of unveils as you're going through this house. And at one point, like people from the group are like kidnapped and things. And was it one of the people oh, in the group, one of the people in the group that was kidnapped was Trent Reznor. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Yeah, he, was through, he was going through the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Where, where is this? Where is the play? Is it in, in, oh, it's amazing. In it's LA just, or? yeah, it's just, it's in L.A. They do it annually. It's uh, what am I, I'm blanking. Delusion. Delusion. It's called. Yeah, it's run by like the stunt people behind movies like a dark, the Dark Knight, and things like that. And they basically take oh, wow. like an old historic 
you know, building in LA and then rig it up inside and write a play around it. And yeah, people love going through it because yeah, it's, it's, it's in small groups. So you're not like stuck with some jackass trying to impress his girlfriend that he's not afraid or whatever, right. you know, it's, it's these people who are really into it. So yeah, it's funny. Halloween in LA, That's right? Killer. That's killer. <laughs> wow. And, and then so what? So then they, they took her as out of the group and what do they like tell you? Like, all right, you're kidnapped now. And, yeah, then figured out. Yeah, then Trent would have gone on his own uh, his own kind of story arc with whatever characters that that side of the story interacts with, and the rest of the group would go on and try and save him later in the play. It just ended up That's being really that, that they grabbed Trent. I don't even know if they knew who that was. When they did. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so awesome, man! So awesome. Yeah. So with everything said, what's next up for you? I mean, obviously, you know, there was supposed to be this tour and now everyone's in lockdown and in quarantine. How are ways that you've been kind of interacting with your fans and been able to keep momentum throughout all this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've started doing a lot of like acoustic live performances. I just did a, a Twitch with um, Brandon from Atreyu. We just kind of hung out and played acoustic songs together and, and just talked a little bit. And, um, you know, trying to do other ones with different radio stations. And I mean, just, just doing anything I can, I guess. And that's what we're talking about, the technology. It's, it's a blessing in a lot of ways in that sense, where if we didn't have that, we'd just be completely shut off from the world now. We wouldn't have none of this. So. So yeah, and then we're talking about releasing some, some, some more, maybe some more of the songs throughout this time. We have to figure out how to release the album in this in the in the current climate. It's just a weird thing. You you kind of want to release it and have all this momentum, and you want to you want to give it everything that you feel like it deserves. It's almost like your kids or something, and you know you're like, oh, I want to give you everything that you deserve, you know, whatever. But it's just a weird time. So uh, we're figuring it out, you know. But like I said, playing a lot of acoustic and playing a lot of um, just online stuff and just trying to interact and, you know, talk with people like yourselves and, you know, hanging out and, and um, putting out content and having a good time while doing it. That's awesome, man. Well said. And we got that amazing video and that EP now. So that'll keep us happy yeah. and happy for the next chapter, man. It's awesome. Well, Joe, man, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And we really can't wait to share in this in this next adventure. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, man. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. I, I know Maria spoke so highly of it. She had such a good time with you guys and said you guys were so so cool and stuff. So I I, I was looking forward to it, and, and she was right. So I appreciate you guys. Aww. Oh, man, that's amazing. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you so much, Joe, man. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 133. Special thanks to our guest, Joe Cotella of the band Dead. Follow him at Joe Cotella on Instagram, at dead underscore Joe. That's D-E-D underscore Joe on Twitter. And follow the band Dead at We Are Dead on Twitter and Dead Official on Instagram. Get their new micro EP, Mannequin Eyes, available now and check out their video for a mannequin idol. If you like this conversation, be sure to check out episode 126 with Maria Brink and episode 106 with Chris Motionless. Also, please rate and write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what you are hearing. We appreciate that so much. Music for this episode from Dead. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next Next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew. 
crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.